if you have your Bible with you, you will turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. Um, there's not going to be a lot of Scripture on the overhead except this text today, and that's for a reason. I just want us to just look very closely at this passage of Scripture. Uh, I know that this is the fifth sermon in this series, God's Amazing Grace. And, and I know in the summertime, and I'm glad that you're taking vacations, and I hope that you're having a great time and a safe time but I know that it's going to be, maybe you've missed a sermon and, and it might seem disjointed. I don't know, maybe some of you hadn't missed a sermon and it seems disjointed. But, uh, but I want to bring us up, after I read the Scripture, after I pray and read the Scripture, I want us to bring us up to speed from last week. This, I think, is a very important passage of Scripture, uh, not only in the life of Paul, but I think for everyone that is a Christian and talking about God's grace and His power in our weaknesses uh, to use us in his kingdom's work. So let's pray together and we'll get started, okay? Father, I thank you that we can gather again around your word. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts now. God, I have notes and a sermon prepared, but Lord, I know that if I don't stay in your word and if we don't allow you to speak, Father, this is just going to be another religious act and and just a man-made sermon, but Lord, we want to hear from you. We want to hear how Paul experienced um, being taken up to heaven, being with you for a brief period of time and then sent back to serve you and serving you meant suffering and undergoing so much. Father, thank you for the grace that you gave him that enabled him to to serve you and for the power and strength that you gave him, even in his weaknesses as a man. God, we want you to speak to us today. So, God, we give these moments ahead to you and pray that your will would be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me read again this passage of Scripture, okay? Second uh, Corinthians 12, 1 through 10. Can you remember the first time you read this passage of Scripture? Man, I was scratching my head saying, what in the world is Paul talking about? But the more I read and study this passage of Scripture, it is absolutely loaded with truths about our Savior and about our God. So let's pick it up. Verse 1, Paul says, I must boast... There's nothing to be gained by it, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And that expression of the Lord, the Good News Bible translates it, given me by the Lord. And so Paul is saying, I've got some visions and revelations, but they came from the Lord. In verse 2, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven, whether in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And what Paul, in essence, I think, is saying, this is a God thing. And in verse 2 and 3, he uses the expression that he was caught up in verse 2 into the third heaven, and in verse 3, he is caught up into paradise. And the third heaven and the paradise could be used interchangeably. But, folks, it is important to note that the, the verb caught up used in both, both of these verses is the same expression that Paul uses in 2 Thessalonians chapter 4 to speak of how Christ is going to catch up the church 
uh, in what you and I call the rapture one day. And so, again, make no doubt about it. This is something that God did. And Paul says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. Paul cannot fully explain how all of this happened, but he says, God knows. So just trust him that God took care of all this, how he is able to leave this earth and be in heaven and then sent back down to earth. But while he is there, listen to what Paul says in verse 4. He heard things that cannot be told which man may not utter. On behalf of this man I will boast, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. Now let me tell you what he's doing, okay? In just a second, verse 7, he's going to identify that it is truly he that went to heaven. But he's using in these verses the third person because he does not want the focus to be upon himself. He wants it to be upon Christ. And so if you go back to verse 2, I know a man in Christ, in Christ. The reason that he was allowed this experience is because he was in Christ. He was born again into the kingdom of God. He was a follower of Christ. And so the Lord grants this to him. Back to verse, uh, verse 6. Though if I wish to boast, I should not be a fool, for I should be speaking the truth. But I refrain from it so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. And to keep me from being too elated. Now, again, he's identifying himself now. To keep me from being too elated by the abundance of revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh. And I hadn't noticed, but look how that wording. A thorn was given to me. Paul is saying, this is a gift. Folks, how in the world something that causes frustration and trials, something that we perceive to be terrible, how in the world can we say it was from God? But he says, a thorn in the flesh was given to given me in the flesh a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being too elated or too proud. And Paul says, three times I besought the Lord about this, that it should leave me. Have you ever had prayers unanswered? And I would say that if anybody here sincerely prayed, there have been some times God answered your prayer, but it was not on your time schedule. And so Paul says, it took me three times praying this prayer, that this thorn in the flesh would leave him. And at the third time, he got a response. And this is what the Lord said. Listen, to it. it's just absolutely so powerful. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And there's two very important words there, God's grace and God's power. Paul says, I'll all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Remember again the key to living the Christian life according to Paul in Galatians 2.20. I am crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Quick, quick again, a quick, um, a quick review from the last couple of weeks. What is the definition of grace? There are many definitions. The one we've been using is out of the Interpreter's Dictionary of the Bible. God's unmerited, free, spontaneous love for sinful man revealed and made effective in Christ. 
Another way of putting that is grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. All the Word of God, the Old Testament and the New Testament talk of God's grace in Christ. And you might say, how can that be? The Old Testament points toward the cross, which is the emblem of God's grace at its greatest. The New Testament, the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John reveal the cross. And then from Acts to Revelation, they point back to the cross. And for the last several weeks, we've been studying, number one, about God's saving grace. Number two, God's grace that brings peace. And this is what we've been looking at last week, this week, and probably two weeks from today, okay? God's grace that leads us and upholds us through trials. Now, if you will, D, go back to verse 10. Scroll back to verse 10, okay? You remember last week, and, and, and to fully understand, folks, what, what this passage of Scripture, the background of this passage of Scripture... Paul is in the city of Corinth. And you might say, well, big deal. Well, it was a big deal because Corinth was perhaps the New York City of Paul's day. And it was so full of wickedness. And on his second missionary journey, Paul and others of his, of his co-workers began to preach and teach the Lord Jesus Christ. They were there for a year and a half before they put so much pressure on Paul to leave, and that's found in Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17. And after Paul left, Satan began to attack the church at Corinth. And as you read 1 and 2 Corinthians, especially 1 Corinthians, there are many sins that Satan tempted the church there to get involved in, and there's just so much sexual impurity, divisions within the church, I mean, Satan tried to destroy that church. But not only did Satan try and destroy the church at Corinth, but Satan tried to destroy the ministry of Paul. Because after Paul had left, false teachers followed Paul, and they made many accusations against the apostle Paul. Let me just mention four. They said Paul is in the ministry for self-gain, self-glory. He is not teaching the truth. He is not a real apostle. Satan sent many adversaries against Paul. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 19. But folks, what I want to remind you of is that not only at Corinth and after he left Corinth, but throughout his ministry, Satan tried to discourage and disrupt the work of Paul and get Paul to quit. Have you ever had that experience? I'm not an apostle Paul. You're not an apostle Paul, but has... Has Satan ever tried to get you to quit serving the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, if you think it's been tough on you, if I think it's been tough on me, let me read about what Paul had experienced. And if you've got your Bible, you just need to look on the page before. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 and following, and just, again, please give me the privilege of reading the Word of God to you, not trying to treat you like children by reading to you, but I just want you to hear what Paul had experienced, okay? And I'm going to be reading this in the Living Bible, 2 Corinthians 11:23. And again, he's defending himself against those that came in and said Paul's not a true apostle and that he doesn't serve the Lord. Verse 23, they say they serve Christ, but I have served him far more. Have I gone mad to boast like this? I've worked harder, been put in jail oftener, been whipped nine times without numbers, faced death again and again and again. 
five times, five different times, the Jews gave me their terrible 39 lashes. Remember, the, the 40 lashes, less one, because I wanted to make sure that they didn't go over the limit. And so Paul had received five different times 39 lashes, and these beatings came because he was preaching the gospel, and he says they came from the Jews, his own brothers. Five different times. That would make 195 lashes. You know, my mama whipped me often, but I, I never counted them. I don't think I got 195. I probably deserved that many. And listen to this. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I was in the open sea all night and hold, hold, the whole next day. I've traveled many weary miles, have often been in great danger from flooded rivers, from robbers, from my own people, the Jews, as well as from the hands of the Gentiles. I've faced grave dangers from mobs in the cities and from death in the desert and in the stormy seas and from men who claim to be brothers in Christ but are not. I've lived with weariness and pain and sleepless nights. Often I have been hungry and thirsty and have gone without food. Often I have shivered with cold without enough clothing to make me warm. And listen to verse 28. Then besides all of this, I have the constant worry of how the churches are getting alone, getting along. And folks, let me just, and I mentioned this verse last week, 2 Corinthians 12:15. Paul says, I am glad to give you myself and all that I have for your spiritual good, even though it seems that the more I love you, the less you love me. And folks, it's hard, isn't it, when the people that you are serving, and, and I'm not just talking about from a pastor's perspective, the people that you are serving and the people that you're trying to help in the name of Christ, it's hard when those people rebel and turn against you, isn't it? So folks, why did Paul suffer all these things? Was he crazy? Folks, you remember last week I mentioned three reasons I think that Paul suffered these things. Number one, Paul's love for Jesus Christ. I think Paul thought about all that his Savior had done for him. Secondly, Paul's love for the gospel of Jesus Christ. How much do we love the gospel? Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God unto salvation. And thirdly, Paul loved Christ's church everywhere. And folks, that's where we pick up today. If Paul suffered these things, how could Paul suffer these things without wanting to stop and quit? And I've often, I'll be honest with you, I believe that discouragement is the main tool in the devil's toolbox or tool bag. And I think if there's anything that he wants a believer to do to stop him or her from serving the Lord, to stop the church of Jesus Christ from boldly proclaiming the gospel, it is discouragement. How could Paul not get discouraged? I tell you one thing, I don't know if I'd have took the 195 lashes or been beaten with stones. If God said, I want you to get on that ship... Paul, Paul was a very intelligent man. He knew it was the wrong time to be sailing. It was the winter months, and that's when the bad weather came. But, folks, he did it because God had a calling on his life. And, folks, you and I aren't Apostle Pauls, but yet God has a calling on our life, doesn't he? 
God has a calling on this church. Will we be found obedient even in a day of disobedience, it seems, as a nation and as a world? But let me get back on track. How could Paul remain faithful? Well, I believe that 2 Corinthians chapter 12, these verses that I've read, really help us to understand how God prepared Paul and used Paul. And let me point out how these ten verses can be broken down. And this comes basically from Warren Wiersbe. Again, I don't want you to think I'm that smart. I I can read and can share with you. But in verses 1 through 6, God prepared Paul by allowing him to see God's glory in heaven. And I know I mentioned this last week, but folks, I want to ask you something. If you and I right now could see into heaven and see God the Father, our Creator, if we could see Him sitting on His heavenly throne, and we could see His Son sitting beside Him, and it would be visible, the nail prints in His hands and the spear mark in His side, that that Savior could love us so much, and that they're still alive, and they're still in control. Do you not think we would have revival in our hearts, and in our churches, and in our world? And so, folks, Paul was allowed to do this. And so he is going to share that experience with us. And so, if you will, I just want us in the next few minutes, the time that is left, to look at these first, these first six verses. And first of all, let me remind you that Paul's effort here in verse 1 is not to exalt himself, but to exalt Jesus Christ. And so Paul describes, beginning in verse 1, the experience that he had in the third person. Now again, Jewish rabbis, and Paul was a Jewish rabbi, was accustomed to speaking about themselves in the third person. And so Paul adopted this approach as he he tried to explain to the church members and Corinth and also his enemies. And folks, let me tell you something. Here's, Here's something that we often forget. Paul had many enemies, but listen, when he sent these letters to Corinth, don't you think they were there to listen to see what Paul was saying? And folks, don't you see, don't you and I see, that as people who are not Christians see us deal with all the discouragement for Christians in the church in this world, as we, as we continue to serve God, don't you think that they see that there's something very powerful at work in us, and it's not ourselves? And Paul wanted these people to understand that he is not exalting himself. But listen in verse 1. Paul says, I will go on to visions and revelations given me by the Lord. Now, you know, I've often read this passage of Scripture and thought, well, this was a very unique time in Paul's life, and it was. But I thought, well, maybe this is the only time that Paul ever had a vision or revelation from God. But folks, let me just mention in the book of Acts and other places the visions and revelations that are recorded that Paul got from God. Just listen to this. Acts 9, 3 and following. Paul saw the glorified Lord on the very day he was saved on the road to Damascus. And he testifies again when he's testifying before the people in Acts chapter 22 that he saw the glorified Lord. In Acts 9.12, the same chapter that I just mentioned, Paul is given 
a vision of Ananias who is going to come to minister to him. In Acts 22, verses 17 to 21, Paul has a vision from God and he is called to minister to the Gentiles. In Acts 16, 9, you remember this story? Paul and the others are trying to decide which direction to go and they're going to go this way and the Spirit of uh, the Holy Spirit forbids them. They're going to go this way and the Spirit of Jesus, Luke tells us, forbids them. So they don't know what to do. And so that night, Paul is given a vision in the night and he sees a man of Macedonia that is waving, saying, come help us, come help us. And Paul knows that is the work of God. God wants them to go to Macedonia, and they do that. And God blesses them, and many, many people are saved, and many churches are started. In Acts 18, 9 and 10, that, that uh, I mentioned earlier, describes the, the original ministry at, at Corinth. When he is there and his ministry becomes difficult in Corinth, God encourages Paul by a vision. In Acts 23, 11, after Paul is arrested in Jerusalem, Paul is encouraged by a vision from God. In Acts 27, verses 23 and 24, as they are on the ship, and they're in the middle of a, of a great, I guess we would call it a typhoon or tsunami or is something catastrophic. And, and all the sailors, they think they're going to be killed. And an angel appears to Paul in the midst of the storm and assures him that he and all of the sailors and passengers would be saved. And Paul shares that good news, and that is good news, isn't it? All of these things happen. God kept giving him visions and revelations during his ministry. And even in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, God gives him spiritual revelations about the mysteries of the church and the mysteries of the kingdom of God, the mysteries of divine truth. You know, I used to say Paul was one of the smartest men in the world, and I think he was. But folks, let me tell you, he was a man who had seen and heard things from God. And that's where his wisdom was coming from. And folks, again, this might not mean much, but it's, to me it's very important. He had all of those visions, but Paul was taken by God up to heaven in this chapter, in verse 2 and 3, and then he is sent back to earth again. And listen to how Paul describes this. And folks, I want to point something out, that the details of this event in Paul's life, and I'm not doubting this happened, that's not what I mean, but you're not going to find this in any other passage of Scripture. And Paul, Paul tells when this happened, he says the event happened 14 years ago. I've read this chapter, <clears throat> never understood what was going on. Fourteen years before his writing the letter of Corinthians would approximately, many Bible scholars think it would have been between 42 and 42 A.D. Now think about this for just a second for this reason. Number one, this would have been 12 to 14 years after Jesus' resurrection. How long had it been since Paul had been saved and called into the ministry? I don't think very long. But before, before Paul began his missionary journeys, before his early ministry, Paul was given this experience of going up into heaven. Why? And again, I think we've already touched on it. I think we touched on it last week, but I want to touch on it once again. What a difference this made in Paul. And you see, 
when you and I again understand our Heavenly Father is still alive and He is still in control and He is still the Creator God that we must all give an answer to and Jesus is still the one who died on the cross to save us from our sin, is there anything that we should suffer that we should not know we've already won the victory because we're in Jesus Christ? We are serving a risen Lord. This is mentioned so often, but folks, do we really realize that? Jesus is even more alive than you and I are right now. And so 14 years prior to all of the suffering, all of the anxiety that his ministry would bring to him, this happens to Paul. And listen to just some of the details. In verse 2 and 3, I've already mentioned this, Paul is caught up into the third heaven or into paradise. And again, the same verb used in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. And folks, is not this our expectation that one day, either at our death or the rapture of the church, we will be taken up to be with the Lord? And folks, why does Paul use two different words, the third heaven and paradise? And again, it seems these words describe the same place, the heaven of heavens. You remember Jesus speaking to the other thief that was dying beside him, the one who said, remember me when you enter into your kingdom. Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. And the word paradise is also used in Revelations 2.7. But what it means is this, the heaven of heavens where God dwells in glory and where Jesus has prepared a place for us. And folks, again, for many years, I wondered, what does it mean, the third heaven? Does that mean there's a first and a second heaven? Are there like lower levels? Uh, if you've been a very bad person, but you're a Christian, would you get in the first level or the second level? And that's not what it means, folks. In Paul's day, as they looked at the heaven and the heavens and the abode of God, the first heaven described the atmosphere. The heaven of the clouds. Today, men visit this every day in airplanes. The second heaven is the heaven of the planets. And folks, we've had men that have walked on the moon. As I remember back in the late 60s, or it might have been the early 70s, I think I remember this right, that when the Russian space program was going so well and they were ahead of the Americans in the space race and, and they were going to get there first, I remember that one of the Russian cosmonauts said, and remember the Russians were under an atheistic government. They vowed that as they went into space, they would find wherever God was at and they would dethrone him because they didn't believe in God, and they were greater than God. But as you and I know, they haven't done it yet, and I don't believe they will because God is everywhere, but his heavenly abode is the third heaven, the dwelling place of God, and that's where Paul was caught up to. And folks, here's a very important point or points. Paul is affirming the reality of heaven, and secondly, Paul is affirming the ability of God to take people there. In verse 2 and 3, Paul uses the expression, and again, it seems strange at first, doesn't it? Paul says, whether in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. And I think what Paul is, is trying to say, he cannot fully explain it, but he knew it happened. 
And he knew that only God could do this because of the promise of his son. And remember again, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, there you may be also. And folks, the more I think about Paul being called up to heaven, the more I see it has influenced his theology about death. And, and folks, I think some of the passages of Scripture. How many of us have said to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord? How many of us believe it? I fully believe it. I believe that when this life is over, guess where we're going? They're going to deposit this body in a grave, but our spirit and soul is going to be with the one who created us and the one who saved us. And it is none other than God the Father and God the Son. Paul had had this experience. He knew this was real. And folks, I'll be honest with you, I, and I'm not talking about myself, I believe with all my heart that there is a heaven. And we get there not by our good works, we get there not by our church membership or baptism, we get there by the grace of God extended to us through His Son, Jesus Christ. And folks, I don't think it's wrong for a minister to stand up or for Christians to stand around those that are grieving and say, We've lost them here, but they're at home with the Lord. You see, Paul got invited to visit God in his home. Don't you look forward to that day? Are y'all still with me this morning? <laughs> I love you, Tom. I tell you. You know, Warren Wiersbe wrote, he said, he said, look, Moses got to meet God on a mountaintop. But Paul got to go to his house. That's where we're headed as Christians, folks. You see, there's no doubt that this vision of God's glory was one of the things that sustained Paul in life and in his ministry. Can you not imagine Paul sitting in those prison cells in Rome and other places, other prisons that he was in? What made he and Silas sing that night is they were in the jail at Philippi. They knew their Savior was alive. They knew they didn't have to fear the stocks and bonds and the beheading or whatever they were going to do to Paul. They knew that if this life ended, they would be with their Savior. No prison, no dangerous travel that Paul knew would keep him from being with his Savior. And folks, think again about how this affected, I believe, Paul's theology throughout the writing of the New Testament. You know that verse, 2 Timothy 1.12, I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Folks, listen. Paul knew that he was in serious trouble because so many people were turning against him. Satan was sending uh, false teachers to criticize and, and try and destroy his ministry, but he knew something that they didn't know. That everything was well because his Father in heaven was in control. And folks, one other point that I want to make, okay, please... And this won't take but just a minute. In verse 4 it says, Paul, Paul said, He heard things that cannot be told which man cannot utter. Now I believe Paul is hearing at that point divine secrets that are shared only in heaven. And these things at that point could only be spoken by God and the heavenly beings in heaven. But they could not be spoken by man. Question mark. What does that mean? 
let me tell you what I think it means. Paul couldn't come back and tell these people, this is what I heard in heaven. But you know what he could tell them? God's son, Jesus, came to the earth. He lived. He died on a cross. He was buried. He rose again. He ascended into heaven. He's coming back. You remember what Paul says? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That is what God wanted Paul to tell others regardless of the cost. And folks, my brothers and sisters in Christ, that is what God wants you and I to tell the world, the gospel of His Son. And when He comes back, He'll come for them. Folks, listen. Paul learned a great truth. And in in verse 5 and 6, I think he learned something so important, and that is that our focus and our praise must not be on ourselves or for ourselves, but for the Lord Jesus Christ. Why did Paul stay silent for 14 years? Well, number one, I think God said, you just, you just, I'll, I'll tell you when it's time to tell this story. You know, if he'd have come back and he told the world, I can see him now. I don't know what kind of ruby he would have had on. Guess what, guys? I've been to heaven. I'm... You know, can you hear those guys? There he is. He's bragging again. You remember we talked about that last week? They said Paul's a braggart. Folks, you see, Paul understood, and you and I need to understand that everything that God has prepared for us is something that does not make us boastful and proud, but it makes us understand that the Lord Jesus must increase and we must decrease. That's what John the Baptist said. John the Baptist said, He who came from above is above all. Folks, don't glorify ourselves or the church, but glorify the Lord Jesus Christ. And again, I think this really made a mark on Paul's ministry because listen to these words that he spoke in Galatians 5.14 or that he wrote. Listen to these words, Galatians 5.14. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, this passage of Scripture, and, and we'll finish up, I hope, two weeks from now. But it doesn't stop there. You know, sometimes those things that seem like trials and tribulation, God gives to us as gifts to help us get closer to Him. And whatever this thorn in the flesh was, God's purpose in allowing even Satan to harass Paul with this was to get Paul to understand that his grace is sufficient. And folks, I never noticed it until now. In that verse, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is made perfect how? In weakness. You see, when God gives us his grace to endure trial, he will give us his power to get through it. And a marvelous thing. And folks, I just pray the next time I'm going through some type of trial and tribulation, I'll remember what God said to Paul. And I pray you will too. And if you're in the middle of a trial and tribulation right now, hear what God says. Hear what the Lord says from heaven. My grace is sufficient. My grace not only saved you, but my grace will sustain you and see you through it. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for these moments in the Word. And I pray that you've been glorified. God, I thank you that one day we'll be able to take the same journey that Paul took and be able to be, able to be at home with you.
God, help us. We don't know what is before us as Christians, as a church, even as a nation. As evil seems to rise up greater and greater, and as it seems Satan's hosts are, are trying to belittle the gospel and the kingdom of God, God, regardless of what it costs us, help us to be found faithful because your grace is sufficient to carry us through. Father, thank you for what we can learn from Paul and from his experience. And thank you, Father, that your grace is sufficient. I pray in these moments of decision, Lord, that we would listen to you. If we need to make a decision for you, I pray that we will. In Jesus' name, amen.